Hey, before we begin, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might be into. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel the giant mystery that is Russia with the help of those who know her best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former KGB spy. Join Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple on a journey to find out how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. Listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying This Is Why. July 20th marks the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. That is like just an incredible achievement for back then. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. On July 20th, 1969, two astronauts landed on the moon. They would become household names, and their mission would inspire space exploration for decades to come. Man on the moon. Tranquility base here. The Eagle has landed. But let's rewind the clock back prior to that monumental day in 1969. What was happening in the world that would lead to this incredible moment in human history? I'm Michael Unger. I'm the programs coordinator at the H.R. McMillan Space Center. As Michael explains, the fallout of World War II left two major world powers, each representing different ideologies, fighting for dominance. Thinking back to this time is kind of challenging for people to understand just how different the world was back then. You know, this is post-World War II. We have the dissolution of uh, Germany, who were creating these rockets and they were sending rockets, you know, to fly over to, to England. And that was technology that they developed for war. The USSR developed satellite technology, sending, you know, uh, communication devices up into space. So when they set Sputnik up into space in 1958, that was a shot to the world that like, hey, we are the leaders of the world now. We are going to usher in this new world order and we're going to be basically leading the humanity, you know, out into space and exploring. CBS television presents a special report on Sputnik 1, the Soviet space satellite. Douglas Edwards reporting. Until two days ago, that sound had never been heard on this earth. Suddenly, it has become as much a part of 20th century life as the whir of your vacuum cleaner. It's a report from man's farthest frontier, the radio signal transmitted by the Soviet Sputnik, the first man-made satellite as it passed over New York earlier today. Shortly thereafter, they sent up the first human, Yuri Gagarin. Shortly thereafter, the first woman, Valentina Tereshkova. So essentially, they had won the space race. You know, they were already setting their sights on Venus and Mars and just exploring And then all of a sudden, you know, the United States just starts to panic, you know, because they're like, oh, no, like, we're going to slip behind here. There's all these countries that are now going to look towards the USSR for for leadership and for guidance. And the U.S. sort of thought that they were the moral authority of the world or wanted to, you know, and perhaps thinking that if things go the way they, they may go, you know, the USSR may start to get into other countries and, 
you know, who knows? Maybe they could invade the U.S. at some point. That's That was the thinking. That was essentially sort of like kind of encapsulated what the Cold War was, that there was this threat that everything that the United States was was just going to collapse. The exploration of space will go ahead, whether we join in it or not. And it is one of the great adventures of all time. And so, you know, at the time when Kennedy made that declaration that they were going to get to the moon, they were nowhere close to achieving that. For the eyes of the world now look into space, to the moon and to the planets beyond. And we have vowed that we shall not see it governed by a hostile flag of conquest, but by a banner of freedom and peace. We have vowed that we shall not see space filled with weapons of mass destruction, but with instruments of knowledge and understanding. Yet the vows of this nation can only be fulfilled if we in this nation are first, and therefore we intend to be first. President Kennedy gave that speech in 1962. It was a speech that well-defined the mood of the Cold War era. Up to that point, the USSR had been seeing great successes in their space program, with the USA fighting to take the lead in what was known as the space race. October 1957, Sputnik 1 is launched. November 1957, the Soviets send the first dog into space. These dogs were especially trained with special equipment for their space travel. January 1959, the first firing of a rocket into orbit around the Earth, accomplished by the Soviet Union. August 1959, the first photograph of Earth from orbit is taken by the USA. September 1959, Luna 2, made by the Soviets, reaches the moon. Soviet Russia scores a dramatic victory in the exploration of space with the launching of the first rocket to hit the moon. An historic scientific feat, bearing the Soviet coat of arms and hammer and sickle pennants, it traveled 35 hours through space. It is the first man-made object to voyage from one cosmic body to another. March 1960, the U.S. sent up the first solar probe. August 1960, Sputnik 5 returns to Earth, bringing with it the very first plants and animals to return from orbit. January 1961, the USA send the first chimpanzee into space. The question on everyone's mind is, how did he take it? And implied in that question is still another. How in the future will man take it? Man has done it. He is safe and well. A hero of space, happy to be back among friends. April 1961, the first human is sent to space by the Soviets. Great success in space. The Russians pushed a man across the threshold. And a month later, May 1961, the first human piloted space flight is accomplished by the Americans. And so it continued, month after month, year after year, incredible milestone after incredible milestone. The U.S. and the USSR each achieving scientific breakthroughs in space exploration. It looked like, for a time anyways, that it would be the Soviets who made it to the moon first. 
Remember, in 1959, Luna 2 was the first probe to reach the moon's surface. Luna 3 photographed the far side of the moon that same year. In 1966, Luna 9 transmitted the first pictures from the moon's surface, and Luna 10 was the first to orbit. In 1968, the Zond 5 traveled to the moon and back. On board were some fruit flies, a plant, and two turtles. Those turtles and their companions were the first terrestrial organisms to return safely to our Earth after flying around the moon. So to safely land a human on the moon seemed to be within Soviet grasp. But then, in December 1968, a year before the Apollo 11 mission, the Americans managed to successfully send three astronauts to orbit the moon aboard Apollo 8. It suddenly seemed as though the U.S. could actually beat the Russians to the moon. Fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, July 16, 1969. 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. Apollo 11 Six, rockets five, into space four, at 6:32 three, in the morning. Two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo. 75 hours and 56 minutes later, Apollo 11 had entered the moon's orbit. Despite the tragic Apollo fire, January 67, NASA recovered, orbited the moon Christmas 1968, and was able to launch Apollo 11 with Columbia and Lander Eagle on July 16th. 1969, to land four days later at Tranquility Base. A now 89-year-old Buzz Aldrin posted a video on Twitter remembering that monumental journey from 50 years ago. By my greatest good fortune, I was able to join Neil and Mike on the Saturn V that day. Man on the moon. We copy you down, Eagle. Houston, uh... Oh, jeez. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Twink. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're bringing it in. Thanks a lot. July 20th, 1969. Commander Neil Armstrong and Lunar Module Pilot Buzz Aldrin descend to the moon's surface while Command Module Pilot Michael Collins waits in lunar orbit. Wally, say something. I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm just trying to hold on to my breath. That is really something. They spend just over two hours on the moon's surface, collecting samples and exploring this alien territory. Dear men from the planet Earth, first step foot upon the moon. July 1969, 50. Neil Armstrong says the simple phrase that will become one of the most famous quotes ever. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. They plant an American flag on the rocky surface. Yeah, that's great. Is the lighting halfway decent? Yes, indeed. They've got the flag up now, and you can see the stars and stripes on the lighting. 
And they named the place of their landing Tranquility Bay. Uh, Neil and Buzz, uh, the President of the United States is in his office now and would like to say a few words to you, over. That would be an honor. Uh, go ahead, Mr. President. This is Houston out. Hello, Neil and Buzz. I'm talking to you by telephone from the Oval Room at the White House. And this certainly has to be the most historic telephone call ever made from the White House. I just can't tell you how proud we all are of what you have done. For every American, this has to be the proudest day of our lives. And for people all over the world, I am sure that they too join with Americans in recognizing what an immense feat this is. Because of what you have done, the heavens have become a part of man's world. And as you talk to us from the Sea of Tranquility, it inspires us to redouble our efforts to bring peace and tranquility to Earth. For one priceless moment in the whole history of man, all the people on this Earth are truly one. One in their pride in what you have done, and one in our prayers that you will return safely to Earth. That is like just an incredible achievement for back then and kind of the reason why it hasn't happened since. We have not sent people back to the moon since 1972 because it's hard. Here's Michael Unger again from the H.R. McMillan Space Center. It's really difficult and challenging and uh, they're lucky that there wasn't any loss of life in those missions. Of course, there was a lot of loss of life, you know, um, building up to it. There was the three astronauts that are now sort of thought of as Apollo 1 that were trapped in 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 a test uh, vehicle. You know, there was lots of test pilots that died along the way. But it's incredibly risky and there wasn't a lot of science payoff, you know, when they got there because everyone that went to the moon were all pilots essentially. The very last astronaut that set foot on the moon, Harrison Schmidt, he was a geologist and that was 1972. There was one one scientist. But we did get a bunch of rocks and we did have this new understanding of what the moon was. Apollo 11 was a scientific milestone But it was truly colored by the broader context of the culture and political era in which it occurred. The 1960s were the era of the Cold War, but also an era rich with art and culture. As Michael explains, that's even reflected in the name Apollo. Apollo is a Greek god. So who was Apollo? Well, Apollo was one of Zeus's sons, one of his many sons. And Apollo was uh, the god of music and poetry. And, you know, when you look back on it, you know, there was more than just a mission to land people on the moon. It was basically, you know, a celebration of humanity. You know, for thousands of years, humans have looked up to the stars, you know, and dreamed, you know, the possibilities of the future. And looked up at the moon and, you know, and romanticized, you know, this, this, this beautiful light of the, of the night. And never in our wildest dreams could they, those people have thought we could go there. So going to a, the moon is really sort of like this romantic kind of idea that humans, we can, we can evolve and we can do these things that we once thought were impossible. 
And I think a lot of people were captivated by that. And you see that in movies and music and a lot of that culture that came out of that time. We look back 50 years at some of the, the best stuff, you know, that we've ever created, you know, in terms of the arts. And It's always interesting to see the parallels between different crafts, science meeting art in this yeah. case. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think what art really does well is it helps us understand complicated things because we don't always need to know sort of like the nuts and bolts of how how things work. You know, really, like for you and me, you know, we look at our smartphones and we're like, we, we understand like how it works, you know. But when it comes to bigger things, when it comes to science, art can really help us understand sort of like the feeling of why this is important and why we should pay attention to this particular thing and why uh, we can celebrate it. Right. Like we don't exactly know all the mechanics of how a spaceship gets to the moon, (laughs) but movies help us relate to the characters that were involved. We understand their stories on a human level And I suppose that probably increases the cultural significance of the moon landing for us, for us humans. Absolutely. Like from the beginning of time, stories have been the best way for us to communicate our messages. Everything from politicians to to good teachers (laughs) uh, use storytelling because that's how we understand. And that's how we get to the moment in our culture where we can go to the moon. So whatever we're doing now, whatever uh, is the next sort of like big leap, and I don't know what that is. There's many things that it could be. But whatever it is, we need to tell that story. You can look at a bunch of different big things that are happening. AI technology is one of them. We're telling a lot of stories about AI right now, a lot of sort of like cautious stories, you know, like, what happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? And you see a lot of those stories of um, what happens if, you know, um, the AI technology takes over. Robots our, take over the world. Yeah, our transit systems, you know, t- Terminator-esque type, uh, type stories. But you also, there's a lot of other nuances to that as well of what AI technology can do for us. It can do things that humans just can't do and can do them quicker. And that will allow us as humans to figure out other things for us to do. What is the story for our moon moving forward? <laughs> Has our poor little moon been forgotten in all of the current excitement of what the future could hold for science exploration 50 years after <laughs> it was the star of the show? Absolutely. Not. You know, earlier this year, China landed on the far side of the moon. That was the first time that uh, any country had landed on that far side because the, the side that we always see is because the moon is sort of tidally locked. Uh, that's the side that the Apollo astronauts and most of the, all of the missions landed on that side. Right. Now, I say dark side of the moon, but you say far side <laughs> that's of the moon. Right. There's got to be a difference. There absolutely is a difference. You know, Pink Floyd uh, did sort of a disservice uh, to us. Uh, Great song, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great album. So it's, I mean, you could think of it as a dark side from our perspective. It's dark to us. We never see it. But if you think about sort of how we rotate around the sun and the moon rotates around us. So the moon is going around us. So of course, when the moon is is uh, on the same side that the sun is, we don't see the moon. We call that a new moon. But on that back side, of course, it's getting lots of light from the sun. We just oh, don't. We course. just don't see it. <laughs> I know it's <laughs> it's kind of like those weird sort of intuitive things uh, when you think about a new moon and what that what a new moon is. Is just there's no light shining on the side that we normally see, so we can't see it. 
because the sun is shining on the backside of it. So it's not technically the dark side of <laughs> the moon after all. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you. Further to your story about China landing on the far side of yeah, the moon. Yeah, so you're seeing is all these other countries that are now seeing the moon as a place that they can test out these new technologies because it is the closest world to us in space. Everything, you know, if you want to talk about Mars, you want to talk about Venus, you know, these worlds are really far away. Those are really difficult places to get to. The moon is a place that you can start to test out these technologies and these, and because it's getting cheaper, these countries can do it. Uh, and China is developing it. India is sending another moon mission. They're going to send a lander. Um, it's going to be launching in September uh, of this year. And uh, Israel, uh, of all countries, you wouldn't think of them as being, uh, um, you know, a space-faring nation, but they are. They sent up a uh, actually an entirely privately funded uh, mission to the moon earlier this year. And they attempted to land on the moon. It didn't work out. It crashed into the moon. But the attempt alone was, was just incredible because uh, you see it's no longer the United States that are the player in space anymore. It's not going to be a race. It's now the whole world that are going back. And the moon uh, eventually is going to be like a really interesting place to set up you know, permanent outposts, much in the same way that we have outposts in Antarctica and in the Arctic. These are places where we do research, we do a lot of good science, and eventually they can be sort of jumping off points to do other things. There could be researchers living on the moon. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible to happen uh, within some of our lifetimes. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for having me in. This is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. It's a national radio show and a podcast. Please download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download and subscribe to your favorite shows. Give us a rating and a review as well. We're also on Twitter at This Is Why. And you can always send us an email. This is why at CuriousCast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. 